Please the gap between the train and the platform. You may have heard, we're taking the show on the road and coming to you from London. I'm Danielle Royston, and this is Telco in 20. Is it me, or has Telco gotten a lot more cloudy lately? I like to think that Telco DR's Cloud City has had something to do with it. Everyone is still talking about what we did at MWC 21 in Barcelona. We rocked the industry and woke everyone up to the movement that's underfoot, Telco's move to the public cloud. At the show, I had the opportunity to meet with a bunch of Telco execs, some old, some new. One new person I met with was Mats Granrin, the Director General of the GSMA. We had a great conversation in Barcelona all about the public cloud. Mats asked me some really interesting questions about cloud security and data privacy that I think a lot of other telco execs still have lingering in their minds too. So when I got home from Barcelona, I emailed Mats and asked him if he was up for recreating our conversation for the podcast. And he said, let's do it. So I jumped on a plane and here I am in the good old UK. Today, we're coming to you from the Shard, right in the heart of London. The building is an iconic 72-story skyscraper made completely of glass, and our view across the city is incredible. For this special episode, we rolled the cameras and captured the interview on video, which you can find in our show notes. It's time to get down to business and talk about the public cloud with Matt's. So, let's take 20. Mats Granrid is the Director General of the GSMA. Welcome, Mats. Thank you very much, Danielle. This is great to be here. It's so great to be here. I mean, we're at the Shard, which is in the middle of London, and we're super psyched to be able to do this in person. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's fantastic. And thank you for coming over. Yeah. Um, I, of course, loved everything about <laughs> MWC 21 in Barcelona. It was a smashing success and I think a real testament to your team. That must have been really hard with all that uncertainty. Would we be able to do it? And so kind of coming off of that, how has that been for you guys? No, it's been really, really good. And I think the hard bit was actually in February, March, when we were sort of fighting the demons, if you would like. And there was a lot of people saying, you can't keep it, you can't do yeah. it, it's going to be unsafe. But we pulled through, and I think that's testimony to the team, as you said, but also shows leadership yeah. that the industry wants to come back together and create more business. So that's what MWC is all about. Right. And so how are you kind of taking that momentum from Barcelona and carrying it into the next show, which is Los MWC Angeles. LA? Yeah. yeah. So obviously, if we just take two seconds on Barcelona, a normal year, we would be 100,000 people yeah. or thereabouts. This year, we were 20,000, mm -hmm. but with a phenomenal reach. So we reached 100,000 individuals every day. Yeah. And with the syndicate networks, I think we reached more than a million people, yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah. Now we're doing the same thing in LA, where we are anticipating half to a third of what it would normally be like. But that's still good. Mm -hmm. But we see for 22 in Barcelona in February, great interest. Yeah. 
we're really excited and psyched about it. And I think the industry is cheering us on yeah. to keep it. I think everyone's ready to come yeah. back. That's and and awesome. thank you, yeah. DR, for making 21 such a success. I mean, it was great yeah. to see the amount of enthusiasm, the energy, and the willpower yeah. of actually creating something. So thank no, you. No, that was it great. Was, it was an amazing opportunity for me and my team. Yeah. You know, this bad event of a big vendor canceling and us being able to execute on the opportunity. It was a once in a lifetime kind of thing. Yeah. And we maximized it. Yeah, you did. Yeah, oh, it, was, was fantastic. it was crazy fun. Yeah. So what we did at MWC 21 was we created Cloud City. And that was all about messaging about moving the telco industry to the public cloud. And I think that opened up the opportunity for me and you to meet for the first time. Yeah. And when we did that, you asked me some great questions about the public cloud that I think a lot of telco execs are curious about as well. And that's what the Telco in 20 podcast is all about, right? Helping telco execs navigate this mega trend that's coming to our industry. So I thought we could turn our conversation that we had into a podcast. And so we're going to turn the tables. And for this episode, you're going to ask me questions about the public cloud. So are you ready to take over Fantastic. as host? Oh, I am so ready. Awesome. But more importantly, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm you're ready. ready. Okay, yeah. very yeah. good. So I guess let's dive in. You know, the industry, the telco industry, we're starting to understand the cloud. And we have been having several discussions around it. But, you know, there are so many different types of clouds. But what is the difference between private cloud, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, public cloud? <laughs> yes. When you talk about public cloud, what exactly is yeah. that? With an idea like this, it's so big. There's a lot of language out there. And so just to define it, I think... Private cloud, I sometimes refer to it as fake cloud, is maybe using certain technology within your own data center that you're managing, that you've constructed. Right? You're buying the machines, your team is managing. And I'll put that strong contrast with public cloud, which isn't just the public internet, but really what I mean there is the data centers that are provided, the infrastructure that's provided by Amazon Web Services, AWS, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud Platform. And these are mega data centers, right? They have built into it resiliency and failover. Yeah. And usually, almost always, you're paying by the use, by the API call or the machine or the row of storage. And it's just so different than the mentality that we have, at least in telco, with owning our own data centers. Yeah. And so with hybrid and multi-cloud, they're kind of like riffs off of those ideas. So what hybrid is, is really a mixture of the two, yeah. right? You might put some workloads, I'll say on the ground in yeah. a private cloud, and then maybe use a database in the public cloud, and right. you're kind of stitching these things together. Yeah. And multi-cloud, a lot of times that means using maybe different hyperscalers. You're hedging your bets, right? You're not going to put oh. all your eggs in one basket. Some work with AWS and others with Azure. And you're starting to see some of the big telcos do this, right? So you can actually have a multi-hybrid cloud putting some of my stuff in my own cloud yep. and then use You can't. It's AWS not either or. It's not either or. I think historically it's been all on-premise in your own data centers. And now I think really the opportunity to start to leverage some of that new technology that's available for public cloud vendors can really accelerate feature velocity mm. and experimentation yeah. and some of these monetization ideas. Yeah. You don't have to build the whole thing and then test it. You can start to experiment with small groups of your subscribers, and if it catches on, expand and expand, and the hyperscalers really enable So, that. And I'm sure there's benefits and drawbacks by using the public cloud or the private cloud. 
right? Yeah. Or, yeah. or a combination of the two. Yeah. And that was what my MWC keynote was all about. I did this crazy keynote. Thank you so much for that opportunity. There was this great article that a telco exec wrote that was like, are we going to let the dragons, and the dragons in this case was the public cloud, into the castle? And the castle was the telco. And my message was all about <laughs> there's two sides to the public cloud, yeah. right? And so, yeah, I think there's pros and cons too. But Both of them. Yeah, I don't think it's like a clear-cut winner, but I think that the good far outweighs the bad. I guess then... I think you've answered the question around what is the difference really between a public cloud and a telco data center. Yeah. What is the difference? You know, I'm always talking to telco execs around the world, and you kind of see different attitudes about the cloud in different parts of the world. The attitudes are still kind of evolving. But I think a lot of people get hung up on, well, I can't because. I can't because of data regulation. I can't because there's no hyperscaler in my country. Okay, that's good to establish yeah. that, because then you have the issue of security and safety. I'm always like, you guys got to understand, in really a 30-minute conversation with a hyperscaler team will help people understand. I usually just line up telco execs with the hyperscalers directly. It's not even me. I'm like, just tell them how you guys do security yeah. at one of your regions, yeah. right? It's a highly secretive location. There's five layers. There's biometrics. There's electronic automatic logging, hmm. right? They won't access your data and hmm. you can ask for a log at any point. Yeah. Contractual reasons that they can't access your data. And so I just spend 30 minutes and Google explains they spend $3 billion a year yeah, on security. No, no and execs are like, okay, our data center is not even close to this. No. And that's just the physical structure. Right. Then you get into all the other things, like the databases that they can offer. And I guess redundancy as well. And yeah, making all, sure that it's all built in for you. And it's on their CapEx dime. So the, the data center analogy, that would be more towards a private cloud then. Yeah. Well, would you say that's mm-hmm. the same thing? And then you have a public. Well, in your own data center, you're responsible for all of that. For, for all of that. And yep. you take responsibility for if you have a fire or if there's a breach of cybersecurity perspective or something like that. That's right. your problem. Correct. It's not the public or the hyperscalers right. problem. But if you look at Europe, there is a movement, as you might know, around Gaia X. Yeah. So how would you see that? Is that sort of a competitor to hyperscalers or yeah, to the three main hyperscalers? I think it's going to be really hard for Gaia X to compete with what these guys are doing. We're a little bit late to the Super to the late party. to the game. Yeah. I think the industry body coming together and agreeing just adds time, right? It just takes a long time for lots of members to come to agreement versus you look at a private company like an Amazon that's publishing APIs and new ideas just all the time. And just the speed is just really hard. The hyperscalers have been doing this since 2006, at least Azure and AWS. Google Cloud was a little bit later. But what they're offering is stuff that they've been using since the 90s to run their own business. They just made it commercially available. These guys run the internet. Google downloads a copy of the internet every single day and saves it, right? Like if something happened to the internet, Google has a copy of yesterday's internet, right? And so we can roll it out. And so for a guy... I think there's a lot of initiatives out there of like, let's do a sovereign cloud. Let's do a special European focused cloud. And people sort of start with this, oh, it's all about the infrastructure. Where are the machines located? Where is the data located? But I think what they're really missing, and that's the big difference and awesomeness about the public cloud, is that the public cloud vendors are offering so much software that you can't get anywhere else. Machine learning, AI, analytics, databases. Amazon's building their own chips that are cheaper, faster than what you can get in an Intel box. 
But if you want to be a little bit cynical here, I mean, the yeah. three hyperscalers, they are all in it for the money. Yeah. Right? They're yeah. using it previously themselves, and now they make it public. There's huge funds. They're really fast when it comes to launching new software and new features, etc. But me as a consumer or me as a company yeah. being as somewhere, an enterprise. Yeah. as an enterprise somewhere outside of the U.S., Am I supposed to be a little bit concerned about that? I mean, Gaia-X would then be, yes, it's a little bit slower, yeah. but it's at least run or governed by a big body that makes sure that it's neutral and it doesn't capitalize on the data, yeah. all of that. And then you have the Cloud Act coming into this as yeah. well. How does one reconcile all these things? And this is Because I can clearly see the benefits, yeah. Yeah. but you can also see potentially the that there is a This is the sides of the public cloud, right? This is all about my keynote which is you got to make these trade-offs of, let's say your competitor doesn't have as much concern as you do. Let's say you're a very risk-averse organization or enterprise. You're scared that these are American companies. You don't know how to navigate it or you're mm. unsure, but your competitor decides to go all in. So you're like, well, I'm going to go Gaia-X. I'm going to go a little bit slower. I'm going to give up some of the tools that they provide, but your next competitor doesn't and goes all in and is reducing their CapEx and is reducing their OpEx and is putting out new features to market and start swapping subscribers because they do trust it. And again, I don't think it's one or the other, right? I think every organization has to make this decision on their own. But what would happen from a commercial perspective? Your own capabilities are not as fast as your next competitor and you start losing subscribers. Mm. I think you're kind of stuck and you're like, I got to use the public cloud, right? I got to use these vendors because it just gives you so much capabilities. And keep an eye on like maybe give Gaia X time and later hedge your bets. But I think it comes down so to- So you mean that there will be a trade-off that me as an enterprise, I see my competitors going with hyperscalers and yeah. getting advantages, and I will then be de facto forced to use them. I think that doesn't sound like a very compelling picture, to be honest. I don't think you can stop the public cloud from coming. I mean, look at what Dish is doing in the United States, the Greenfield Network and OpenRAN. And they're putting their core on AWS. They're putting AWS at the edge. Now, they need to execute. I think execution, obviously is a big, big piece of this. And if they can't put this all together, but let's say that they do, it changes the economics in the United States. And so AT&T and Verizon, they need to keep an eye on this guy hmm. and what they're doing. And I think take it in another country. You know, Vodafone has been very progressive with the public cloud. Hmm. They're using Wavelink, which is AWS at the edge. Yeah. They're using Google Cloud for Analytics. Yeah. You got them really excited about using open APIs yeah. to turn their functionality into smaller and smaller modular pieces. Yeah. I think Vodafone's really trying to change the speed of business. Yeah. And so you're a competitor of Vodafone, you got to keep an eye on them, right? Yeah. Deutsche Telekom decommissioned 77 data centers, yeah. right? They're moving to AWS. Mm. And so, yes, I think there's some concerns, geopolitical, GDPR regulations. Can I do it in this country versus that country? I think you have to weigh all that. But then there's also sort of the commercial benefits. Yeah. You know, the reason why I have this podcast is because it is a senior leadership conversation. Mm. This isn't a random technical person that's a middle layer manager in a telco that says, hey, I'm going to use AWS today. No. Right. It is a CEO conversation of like, mm. I am willing to take some risks mm. to get some business no, benefits. Exactly. And I think this is really exciting. It's yeah. sort of like AI and ethics, yeah. where we discuss this all the time. And we have tools to deal with it. 
but nothing is really perfect. Yeah. So the debate is almost the most important thing yeah. to have. And I think this might be one of those areas as right. well that we're actually pushing the frontier as we speak. Right. And therefore the discussion needs to be there. The debate needs to be there. Because well, I can fully understand the competitive pressure. Yeah. Don't misunderstand yeah. me. I can absolutely yeah. do that. But I can also see other enterprises being much more reluctant. So you know what? I can't do this. Well, but then you look at where the competition's really coming from. And it's not really necessarily the next guy but rather the OTT vendors that are siphoning your art poo. Absolutely. Right? Oh it's my just, God. you know, you tell it's me. just falling off, right? I don't need to tell the telco <laughs> execs how no. bad that's been. I agree with you 100% yeah. there. But the hyperscalers, to get the service, do I need to be in the same country as the hyperscalers yeah. to use their platform or can I be anywhere? Yeah, no, I talked to an executive down in Bolivia who was like, I don't think I can use the hyperscalers because they're not in Bolivia. Last time I checked, everyone's plans on data centers. Bolivia was not next, unfortunately. And he's like, therefore, I want to do a cloud offering for my enterprise customers as a telco. I'm going to build my own cloud. And so the answer to your question is, no, they don't have to be in your country. So from a data regulation perspective, most countries have relationships with other countries that they're friendly with. It's not necessarily the United States, but it could be Germany and it could be Switzerland. And so usually the overlap of what we'll call whitelisted countries mm -hmm. that you can share data with mm. and the locations of hyperscalers, mm. there's some intersection mm -hmm. of a country that has a hyperscaler you can use. So that's number one, and I always encourage people to check that. I think number two, the hyperscalers have offerings where they will literally stand up a rack in your data center. The data center that you already built, they will bring machines and a rack, power it, and now it's almost like a plug to the public cloud, right? Mm -hmm. You can use the services of AWS in your own data center. And so for super risk-averse people, this is under your roof, but kind of getting some of those assets. Now, it's not 100%. It's not going to be as cheap as it could be. But it's a good way to start, if you're really risk-averse, start playing. And that would be the hybrid cloud, then? Yeah, it would be AWS, literally in your data center. In your data center, right? the hybrid type of thing that we exactly. started yeah. talking about. Right. Azure has a, a similar offering okay. where they provide the machines and they manage the rack for you. Wow. Right. Okay. And then Google doesn't provide the hardware, hmm. but they have something called Anthos that you can install in your data center. Think of it as like a wire into a public cloud, but it's in your data center. Yeah. Now, again, it's not going to be all the services. It's not going to be the cheapest way to do no. it, right? So some of the benefits I talk about, but it's a good way to start experimenting. Right. So right? you would see some benefits, I'm sure. Right. right. And, and so would... my Bolivia front, I was like, don't build it. Just put in a bunch of outpost racks. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's in your country. It's there. Yeah. You get the access. And so I don't know what he ended up doing, but that would be my recommendation. <laughs> that but be... that's pretty cool, actually, yeah. to yeah. do that hybrid multi-layered approach to get to know the, right. the technique. Right. Now, you mentioned DISH and AWS, yeah. I think, because I'm a little bit curious to have some real-life examples. I think Verizon is working with AWS as well. DISH is working with them. Yeah. AT&T, I think, is working with uh, Azure, with Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. Could you give me some examples of sort of what yeah, are they actually doing? there's a lot doing? of great oh, examples I'm sure there going are, yeah. on. Let's just talk about Telstra for a second. Telstra. Okay. Right. Yep. Where they just put out their shareholder letter that 90% of their workloads will be running in a public cloud by 2025. Is that Andrew Penn? Andrew Penn. Right. Yeah. So that's Andrew Penn communicating both to his shareholders and investors, but also to his people. Like I'm putting a stake in the ground that we're going to really change the way we work. And so for them, and they talk about it, we need to go hire people with this talent. 
We need to upskill the people we have. And so that is a cultural shift that they're willing to make. They're just sort of like calling the ball. They're like Babe Ruth pointing into the stands where they're going to hit the ball. But I think that shows real big leadership. We talked about Dish. This is the biggest example of going all in on the public cloud that I know of in the world. Virtualizing the whole It's shebang. It's cloudifying the whole thing. AT&T recently sold their, quote, network cloud to Azure. I think that's both the IP and the people mm. saying, we're going to start to use Azure at the edge. Mm. You guys can do it better than us. Mm. We want to focus on our business, mm. right? We want to focus on providing value. And I think people out there are saying, oh, you're giving up on your ability to innovate. I'm like, the innovation is not in managing the stack. Mm. Innovation is in the business value you're providing to your subscribers. I mentioned Vodafone. Yeah. Vodafone's testing out Wavelength here in London. Yeah. And they have their big analytics project yeah. with GCP. Their analytics jobs used to take days, weeks to run, and now they're running them in hours and they can run more of them and mm. they can use the capacity of the public cloud. There's certainly a huge amount of power in assembling so much data. Yes. And again, to bring in some of the stuff I work on with Satogi, I think your analytics and those insights need to be connected to your charger. Yeah. And that's what the Tatogi charger is all about. It's less yeah. about charging the way we know it, but more about driving an experience engine mm. or an engagement engine, mm. right? Taking that insight of someone had a bad experience and mm. the third time they've called this month about a particular issue exactly. and pushing out an offer exactly. or something to make sure yeah. they don't yeah. churn out. Yeah. Right. Mm. And we have the data and they're trapped in all these silos Absolutely. and all these systems and the systems don't talk to each other. Think about the, the data the network is producing every minute what cell I'm connecting to, where I'm traveling. Imagine how personal you can make my experience, yeah. right? And the data is there, mm. we just don't use it. Mm. And so I think the public cloud really enables so that. How so how urgent is this, do you think, for operators? I mean, you mentioned several operators doing quite a lot. Yeah. Are we as a community of telcos, are we doing enough? Should yeah. we do more? How urgent, how nervous should we be about this? I think, like I said, it's a cultural shift. It's a leadership conversation. It's such a big idea. And for the most part, telcos don't have this muscle in their organizations. They don't have cloud experts running around. This is the hottest tech skill. It's the hardest to get. Mm. And you're competing against Amazon, Microsoft, and Google to go attract it. I recently spoke with a group of strategy officers. And my message to them is, you don't know how to use it, and you don't have people that do. No. I spend my time talking to your teams about how you can't start, not about what you can do. Mm. And so the way to get going is set a goal mm. and just start. I told a great story about Jamie Miller, the CIO of GE. She brings her technical leaders together saying, we're going to move 50 applications to the public cloud, 50 workloads. And the team is arguing with her, saying how it won't work and it's a dumb idea. And she's like, I hear you. I hear you. Let's take 30 days and let's do the best we can. And they moved 42. And in that course of that first month, they learned about their governance questions, their compliance issues, legal. But then they also got great ideas about what else could move. And it started that journey. Mm. And I think if you're going to get to some of the things we talked about, which is great ARPU and better customer experiences and doing things like Vodafone and hyperscalers at the edge and things like Dish, you got to start now. It's a decade. So you would say it's, it's fairly urgent. Yeah. And, I'd say and get going. It's a get going and see and, and starting to try and experiment. That's yep. what you're saying. So if we're going to sit here again in 2025, yeah. in a rainy September yeah. afternoon, what will the world then look like? 
from a cloud perspective. Will this be bread and butter? Will this be sort of... I think it's bread and butter. I think we're seeing it. It's everywhere. I mean, every day I wake up, I can hardly keep up with the cloud announcements. Like a year ago, I was digging and searching. I would like pick a telco's name and then add AWS to it just to see if I could find anything. And now they're everywhere. In some places, it's faster than others. But the people that are starting to experiment now, I think in 2025, will have real measurable savings and results. And the guys that are kicking tires and waiting and seeing, I think they're going to have five years of catch up. And that matters. Would you say that since this is changing the infrastructure, the IT infrastructure and the mindset, would this be an opportunity for new players to come in that doesn't have a legacy network, doesn't have a legacy way of doing things, but completely starting fresh? And maybe this is where we kind of wrap up with DISH. People are like, okay, the United States let them be another fourth player. They'll put in some constraints on how fast they had to build a network. Everyone's saying, no, it won't work. You can't possibly do it. And I think they're kind of using the public cloud to make it go faster and build a brand new network very, very quickly. And I think when people see that work, it's going to open up a lot of eyes of what's possible. You know, we always sort of talk in telco, oh, we move so slowly. And I'm like, that's actually maybe by choice. And maybe some people who decide to not move slowly, you're going to see more challenger brands that start to leverage that cloud where you get to pay for what you use and pay for what you need. And that's it and nothing more. It changes the economics of having to use an Ericsson package where the entry point's $5 million and lower it. And so now people, I think, can really come in and do some damage. And so I don't know, the sleepy people, you know, the incumbents maybe won't like this. The challenger brands are going to love it. I think telco is super exciting and so much change coming. Absolutely. And I think you mentioned several incumbents that are doing a lot. VT, Vodafone, Andy Penn, Telstra, Verizon. So there's a lot of movement. I I agree with you. Yeah, there's plenty of opportunity to improve NPS and improve ARPU and make sure... And I think it's really easy to sign a strategic partnership and make an announcement and do a press conference or press release. I think what we really need to watch is the projects and the results. Well, super. I've learned a lot. Thank you very much, Dior. Super fun. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I love it. Thank you. Stick around because we're ending each podcast with a Telco in 20 takeaway. I have 20 seconds to tell you something you need to know. Matt's asked me some really great questions. If you have questions like Matt's, I'd love to come visit you and maybe even record a podcast. We'd love to meet you in Dubai, Singapore, Sydney, Tokyo, Cape Town, or even Kansas. If you want us to visit you, drop me a DM at TelcoDR or send me a message on LinkedIn. Meanwhile, we are crazy busy around here. As I mentioned with Matt's, I'm heading to California for MWCLA happening October 26th through the 28th, and I'm taking meetings. So if you're planning to be there too, let's meet up. And don't forget that it's hyperscaler event season. Google Cloud Next just wrapped up and Microsoft Ignite starts November 2nd. And last but not least, be sure to catch Amazon's re-event, which kicks off at the end of November and will be held in person in Viva Las Vegas. Keep an eye on my blog because I'll be posting cliff notes for each of these events that highlight the sessions that matter most for telcos. I'll also blog about the most important information and announcements to come out of them after they wrap. And if you're enjoying this podcast as much as I am, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, share our podcast with your colleagues, and leave us a review. You can also sign up for our awesome email newsletter on telcodr.com. Hope to see you soon. Later, nerds.